Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com on Sunday the 13th of April 2008. At the end of the show, you can look into the links I'll provide for more talks that Aldo Huxley gave in interviews concerning his view of what he perceived to be the coming problems in a global society. He articulated them pretty well because he was in on various think tanks working on solving these upcoming problems which the think tanks foresaw. They understood because these particular think tanks working with intelligence services were well aware of all the different kinds of technologies that could be applied on national and international levels that could affect the behavior and the culture of the populations. Well understood. They also understood the psychological effects of scientific propaganda, scientifically induced propaganda and repetition. They also understood that since everyone was a long time ago already on a national and international education system, they were all taught the same reality that it would be much easier for even small groups of people to take over at the top and control a world. This, to an extent, has already happened. When you think about it, you're born into a system, pre-existing system, which you did not create. It was created by predecessors. Not only wasn't it created by you, it wasn't created by your parents either, who had no say in the system into which they were born as well. For many, many centuries, we're born into systems. We don't question much about the nationality of things. We simply go and fight when we're told to fight and conquer who we're told to conquer for our masters who were induced into us to believe these masters really are of the same ilk as yourself the epitome of the flag you might say but they're not really they never have been at the top those who claw their way to the top are generally psychopathic personalities who have no affiliation with those they rule over and that goes for every country in all ages while we're being distracted by media and entertainment all of which gives you little bits of programming you cannot watch a thing today on television without some kind of political correctness or programming or idea being put into your mind. Comedies are famous for it in little bits and bites on news clips which never explain anything in any depth whatsoever. They encourage us to be superficial thinkers. During World War One and Two, and increasingly up until today, universities have had very large grants given to them 
by the military-industrial complex to work on warfare purposes, weaponry of all kinds. The bacterial and viral warfare departments of every nation has their groundwork done in universities. In fact, many discoveries, scientific discoveries, come from the universities. They're publicly funded as well. And yet these private corporations who give little grants for specific investigatory purposes end up owning the patents which these universities come up with the discovery. They steal the patent, really. And this has been increasing during the, throughout the Cold War, right up to the present time, with all kinds of ways being found, electronic, viral, bacterial, and non-lethal weaponry type scenarios. All of this has been part of the coming New World Order, as it's called, psychology as well being used alongside all of it, and propaganda. Propaganda is an exact science, and it can be calibrated or adjusted to fit any culture, but the same techniques are used. With non-lethal weaponry, we've had our heads full of tasering and so we think of it basically as cops on the streets with little personal weapons which they can use to stun or even kill someone and that's all true however we miss the big picture and I think it's intentional that we're distracted into one form of non-lethal weaponry while we ignore all the other major forms the ones that are used on a grand scale. When it was mentioned on the major news right after 9-11, when one of the bigwigs was asked in the U.S. how they would deal with another crisis, even bigger crisis, on, say, a city level, and he said, we have aerosolized Prozac and Valium which they can be sprayed across a whole city to calm the people. And that's when it hit me as to why so many people were already, since 1998, having feeling drowsy, sleepy, no energy, since the aerial spraying began in earnest on a large scale. It hit me that not only is HARP technologies being used in conjunction with the aerial spraying of metallic particles but obviously the boys, the boys at the top would get a big bang for their buck they'd use what they call calmatives as well now people can look into university findings they might be lucky to still find some around where the funding was given to these departments certain departments and universities who all worked on these non-lethal weapons and calmatives and so on. And remember what you read on a small scale can be used on a large scale. One of these reports for 
the military-industrial complex on calmatives was done by Penn State College of Medicine Applied Research Lab Laboratory, Pennsylvania State University. And they gave out one, I have one document, here's probably a lot more, on 3rd of October 2000. And it's called The Advantages and Limitations of Calmatives for Use as Non-Lethal Technique. And there's one of 11 pages here, 11 pages in this one particular report. It says, Executive Summary, the purposes of this study was to assess the potential use of calmatives as non-lethal techniques. This research included defining the advantages and limitations of pharmaceutical agents as calmatives with potential use as non-lethal techniques, providing a comprehensive survey of the medical literature, identifying pharmaceutical agents that produce a calm state, and developing this information into a database of relevant literature on calmatives. Number three, providing an in-depth review of selected calmatives identified by the literature research with high potential for further consideration as a non-lethal technique and L to identify and provide recommendations on new areas in pharmaceutical drug development that may uniquely meet the requirements of calmatives as non-lethal techniques. Now we remember this was first brought to the public's attention in a dramatic way in a hostage situation in Russia, in Moscow I think it was, where they released a nerve gas into the theatre. The authorities released this gas and it did kill some of the, the, the hostages as well as those who were holding them. That's how that broke to the surface. However, again, that's small scale. That's what they call urban warfare. And we must never forget that whatever's done on a small scale can be broadened into a very large scale. The boys at the top, you know, think big, very big. It's like the special air service. Their motto is, who dares wins. If you dare to do the unthinkable, you've got more a chance of winning. You dare to do that which is audacious, like knights are audacious, they're bold. You do that which no one else would think of. And that's why you can pull it off. That's how all intelligence services work. And they also work by massive deception. Everything in intelligence is to do with deceiving the public. The public in your own country, the public abroad, across the world. Deception is used. And often the idea is to do some dirty work and withdraw your men and let other countries blame each other. That's standard in intelligence work. I'll continue with this little talk here from this particular document I have here. There may be a need for development of non-lethal techniques with a high degree of specificity regarding safely and reversibly that the world avoid production of a lasting impairment to the subjects. And they've got the word screwed up here, but that's the way it is. Or an individual or individuals activating the technique. Pharmaceutical agents or calmatives with a profile of producing a calm 
like behavioural state. They've got cairn, like I guess they've got a dog here, cairn terrier, which became like behavioural state uh, via um, the considered highly appropriate for consideration in the design enhancement and implementation of non-lethal techniques. While ethical issues are involved with the use of calmatives in this context, consideration of these issues was beyond the scope of this project. And it is too, you see, all intelligence gathering and all experimentation is compartmentalized. So these characters here in this university getting their grant are probably doing a study which has been done in many other universities across the planet, often funded by the same foundations, and they don't know each other's findings. They don't know, too, that they're simply doing a, a, a study which has been done maybe 20 years ago and ongoing because what they want to see is, is data at the top. You've got to have lots of data and intelligence. That's what intelligence gathering means. And you've got to be pretty sure of your facts so that you do many experiments on the same thing uh, with, with unrelated organizations all, all participating. And that way you get an idea of consistency. Pharmaceutical agents considered under the topic of calmatives include compounds known to depress or inhibit the function of the central nervous system. Several major classes of pharmacological compounds under this category include sedative hypnotic agents, anesthetic agents, skeletal muscle relaxants, opioid analgesics, anxiolytics, antipsychotics, antidepressants, and selected drugs of abuse. Drugs which depress the nervous system have a range of effects that are dependent on the dose and duration of drug administered. These physiological and behavioral effects range from amelioration of anxiety, mild sedation, hypnotic effects, to coma and death. Pharmaceutical compounds recommended for use as non-lethal calmatives will typically not be administered to produce deep sedation or hypnosis. Rather, calmatives will be used to relieve anxiety and produce mild sedation. Moreover, the compounds featured for in-depth discussion in this report have unique characteristics that offer specific advantages in a non-lethal warfare setting. Now, remember that everything in here is worded and reworded after it goes through banks of lawyers because they want to make sure that there's a lot of deception involved in, from the, on the part of the reader. The reader's going to be deceived unless he understands the language of intelligence gathering. So that last sentence said that offers specific advantages in a non-lethal warfare setting. Remember, we are at war. That's the first thing to understand. We are at war. It's been declared. It's a war, it's a global war against what's called terrorism. Terrorism has, as I knew it would, blossomed into encompassing everything. Everything which the state states is anti-government or anti-policy of the government. So if you complain about the system, you're basically a terrorist. If you don't go along with political correctness, with the new norms that come up every other day and say four fingers or two and two is five, then you're now a terrorist, like George Orwell said. It's whatever they tell you is normal. That's a new political correctness. Most folk adapt to it immediately. 
imperative. To continue with this report, this report highlights the pharmacological effects of calmative, including a discussion of pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic principles of drug action in the central nervous system. The pharmacological effects include consideration of a calmative's roots of administration, rate of absorption and distribution, biotransformation and excretion profiles, that's how you fasciate rid of it from your body, mechanism of actions, as well as consideration of known side effects, the importance of data on calm calmatives obtained from both Preclinical and clinical research was considered to be vitally needed for information in the assessment of a calmative agent. Additional consideration was also given to research with calmatives conducted in patient populations with a range of disruptive behaviours ranging from treatment of withdrawal from alcohol, alleviation of debilitating anxiety concomitant with social phobia, therapeutic treatment of violent parolees, as well as others to provide information relevant to the application of a calmative or an agitated population. Now here's the part here. Information relevant to the application of a calmative in an agitated population, population, national, or riots and or hostage situation requiring deployment of a non-lethal technique. So the idea of the way it's written is to always read the reader, the reader into thinking the latter part, riot under hostage situation, but remember, legally, they've told you just before it, of a calmative in an agitated population. Now you can tie this in with what I talked about on my website, the 90-page report from the big think tank that runs or hovers over the Department of Defence for Britain to do with 30 years of escalating riots and you start wondering you put it together why they're doing these kind of studies quiet studies the researchers identified the characteristics of an ideal calmative as a non-lethal technique to include number one easy administration what's easy now it's not easy forcing someone down and injecting them or making them breathe something out of a tank. Adaptable for administration via topical, subcutaneous, intramuscular, or oral routes. Now, topical, remember, means your skin. And they have lots of chemicals that will carry pharmaceutical agents or viral or warfare agents through the skin. Rapid in onset. That's why they'd give you a fast-acting calmative, such as a Valium-type one, to initially kick in. Something like Prozac would take a while to build up in your bloodstream to the right loading dose, and then it would start affecting you after a while. So you'd do it in unison, together, I should say. Rapid in onset, most likely of short or limited duration. Production of approximately the same magnitude of calm ranging from a less agitated, groggy, sleep-like state to a stunned state of consciousness in all individuals of similar body mass index and age range. Now, I've watched it even in Sudbury, Ontario, on the very few occasions I go into town in the summer, 
when they're spraying like crazy above your heads. Just pea soup, crazy. Line after line from all directions. And you look at the people coming in and out of their cars and in and out of stores, and you have the same fixed expression everywhere. It sometimes appears as though they're in slow motion. They're definitely drugged in some way. The effect should be reversible by a profile of rapid turnover and or the availability of a selective antagonist to serve as an antidote. The compound should be safely administered by an individual and free of prolonged toxicity to the individuals receiving the agent, only be administered on a temporary basis. Now remember, temporary is a very vague word. As temp- something is temporary could be uh, a period of 20 years until an objective is achieved. Produce side effects, if any, of short duration. And here's the advantages and limitation of calmatives for use as non-lethal technique. Researchers noted that in identifying an optimum calmative for use as a non-lethal technique, the choice of agent for application in a field setting, a field setting, would depend upon the situation of the crisis requiring intervention. In this regard, wide ranges of potential agents were considered, and it was noted that a series of calmatives with different mechanisms of action, duration of effects, and depths of calm might be appropriate for development. It was noted that drugs can be tailored to be highly selective and specific for known receptor, that's protein targets in the nervous system, with unique profiles of biological effects on consciousness, motor activity, and psychiatric impact. An extensive review of the medical research literature and several commercial sources of current pharmaceutical information were searched on topics carefully selected for their relevance to calmatives. The Calmative database generated included over 7,000 references obtained in conducting this research. 7,000 references. These results demonstrated that a large body of highly relevant information is available on Calmative agents. Then they go into the different kinds they can use here. For use as non-lethal Calmative agents, and they include, include. It's all of them. This is the ones they include the better known ones, the benzodiazepines, alpha-2 adrenal receptor agonists, dopamine D3 receptor agonists, serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors, serotonin 5-HT1A receptor agonists, opioid receptors and MU agents, or, 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 agonists, neurolept and anesthetics, that's, that's the ones that put you into much deeper sleep, Corticotrophin releasing factor receptor antagonists, cholecystokinin B receptor antagonists. The discussion for each category of agent includes identification of specific compounds, typically receptor agonists and antagonists, as well as review of the clinical effects and the mechanism of action. In addition, each class of compounds and specific drugs were discussed in light of the proposed contribution as a non-lethal technique. Non-lethal technique, that's the term, remember, techniques. Remember the word that Huxley kept using, techniques. When they say techniques, and he, he defined what he meant by techniques. 
These are, these are techniques used on populations, psychological techniques, propaganda techniques. Technique is a series of routines re- repeated in sequence, and it alters our behavior, culture, and so on. But it's also techniques of control. Mainly it's to do with control. That's what Huxley was referring to. Researchers identified several drug classes such as benzodiazepines and the alpha-2 adrenoreceptor agonists and individual drugs such as diazepam, which is Valium, dexmedetomidin, and appropriate for immediate considerations of non-lethal technique equally. So in other words, we're already considering the Valium ones for immediate consideration as non-lethal techniques. Equally important, the researchers identified many promising new developments that deserve further consideration with high potential as potential calmatives with availability in the near future. The research objective of this particular part of the study was to, number one, define the advantages and limitations of pharmaceutical compounds as calmatives with potential use in non-lethal techniques, provide a comprehensive survey of the medical literature utilizing pharmaceutical sense to produce a CAM state with potential use as non-lethal techniques control. This information will provide a current database of the relevant literature on calmatives and provide an in-depth review of selective calmatives identified by the literature search with high potential for further consideration as non-lethal techniques and goes on and on and on. They they put a lot of filler in these things as well because they get grants and they've got to please their masters and come up with something. They pad the reports. Calmatives have potential for use in non-lethal techniques. Currently, the majority of non-lethal techniques involve the use of physical restraint, induction of acute pain, physical pain, or other immobilization strategy. Chemical irritants, which include pepper spray, tear gas, serve to illustrate another series of approaches currently used in situations of crowd control. Crowd control. If you think it's one-on-one thing, no, it's for for crowd control, ultimately. However, to date, the the vast array of pharmaceutical compounds that produce a CAM, non-agitated behavioral state may have potential utility as non-lethal techniques, either alone or in combination with established approaches described above. Since the mid-1960s, the availability of these pharmaceutical agents, herein termed calmatives, have undergone a remarkably rapid phase of growth. Indeed, the premier status of the U.S. pharmaceutical industry, the world markets, combined with exponential developments in the field of pharmacology, neuroscience, anesthesia, and biotechnology fields, among others, has brought forth a diverse array of compounds that produce sedation and or CAM states as either a primary or secondary effect. Then they prattle on about the same stuff as they pad the paper. Contribution of the report on calmatives. There is a need for non-lethal techniques with a high degree of specificity, selectivity, safety. They're repeating what they said at the start. Um, I'll try and find something that's more relevant here. They're going to define now what what calmatives is. A wide variety of pharmacological approaches moderate mammalian behavior. That's us mammals. We're just animals, you see including human, non-human primates and rodent species. Pharmacological compounds or agents producing a calm or tranquil behavioral state upon administration are termed calmatives. In most cases, the state of calm produced will, in part, 
depend on the existing behavioral state of the individual before the agent is administered. Pharmaceutical agents to be considered on the topic of calmatism include compounds known to depress or inhibit the function of the central nervous system. There are several major classes of pharmaceutical compounds that fall in the category of depressants, including sedative hypnotic agents, anesthetics, skeletal muscle relaxants, opioid analgesics, and anti-anxiety or anxiolytic antipsychotics, antidepressants, and selected drugs of abuse. Now, I'll stop there and, and jump to another paper. This fits in with this document here. Years ago, I saw a movie with George C. Scott. It was a movie based on a factual incident that occurred back in 1968, I think it was. And it's funny how things work out with synchronicities, but someone just sent me a little write-up on this particular incident that happened. The movie, by the way, was called Rage, and it's well worth seeing. It actually happened in the United States. One of many incidents that have happened in the States and elsewhere that's been quietened down, covered up, and so on. And this is called The Sheep Incident by John Ciansiosi. He wrote this on March 17, 2008. I think his site is called damninteresting.com. Damninteresting.com. And so what it says, it was half past midnight on March 17, 1968. Keith Smart, the director of epidemiology, and ecology at Utah's Dugway Proving Grounds was awakened by the ring of a phone. On the other end was Dr. Bode, professor at the University of Utah and the director of the school's contract with Dugway. There was a problem. Calls had been coming in about 27 miles outside of the base in the aptly named Skull Valley. Thousands of sheep had suddenly died. There were some survivors among the flocks, but it was clear that their hours were numbered. Veterinarians were dispatched to euthanize the few remaining animals. Army officials began drafting their official denial. That's standard, you see. A few days earlier, one of their planes had flown high over the Utah desert at Dugway with a bellyful of nerve agent. The plane's mission was simple. Using a specifically or specially rigged delivery system, it was to fly to a specific height of coordinates and spray its payload over a remote section of the Utah desert. This test was done as a small part of the ongoing chemical and biological weapons research at Dugway, and it was one of three tests that held that particular day. The flight would soon prove to be far more important than anyone could have guessed at the time. The sprawling 800,000 acres of Dugway Proving Grounds is a mix of target ranges, dispersal grounds, laboratories, and military bunkers. The facility was established in the 1940s, to provide the military with a remote locale to conduct safer testing. It was briefly shut down following World War II, but the base enjoyed a grand reopening during the Korean War. By 1958, it was the official home of the Army Chemical, Biological and Radiological Weapons School. The base tested all manner of unconventional military hardware, from researching new toxic agents to developing antidotes and protective clothing. In March 68, the toxin under the scrutiny was VX, 
which is 15, one of the most potential or potent nerve agents in existence. The original compound was created by Renajit Ghosh, a chemist working at Imperial Chemical Industries. The liquid proved to be an effective pesticide and is quickly put on the market under the name Amiton, Amiton, A-M-I-T-O-N. Not long afterwards, however, it was taken off the market for being too toxic to handle safely. The agent's extreme toxicity drew the attention of government weapons research labs whose scientists were always on the lookout for more efficient ways to kill people. Amiton, the pesticide too successful for its own good, was to become the V or 5 class of nerve agent. The majority of the research done on V-class agents went into developing a potential weapons-grade version of the chemical that research birthed the VX or 15. VX was a triumph amongst the biological warfare community. Odorless and tasteless is three times as toxic as sarin. In initial trials, this overachieving compound was also found to be highly stable, enabling long shelf life and environmental persistence. It works by blocking chemicals in the victim's body from functioning. Prevents the enzyme acetylcholinesterase from following muscles or from allowing muscles to relax, resulting in the contraction of every muscle in the body. Exposure to a minute or diluted dose will cause muscle twitching and drilling. Excessive sweating and involuntary defecation, among other unpleasantries. Exposure to a lethal dose, about 10 milligrams, will cause convulsions, paralysis, and eventually asphyxiation due to sustained contraction of the diaphragm muscle. Unless the affected skin is cleared, cleaned, it travels through the skin, and an antidote administered immediately, a single drop of the liquid will kill a person in around 10 minutes. That's a victory for the industrial war complex. On March 13th, Dugway ran a series of three tests using the chemical. The tests were routine, like any of the thousands of weapon tests that were conducted there over a 20-year period. In the first test, an artillery shell packed with it was fired into the range. In the second, 160 gallons of the compound were burned in an open pit. Both tests were completed without incident. The third test involved delivery via aircraft over a tonne of a special mixture sprayed over the desert. Unbeknownst to the pilot, the spray nozzle that controlled the flow of the chemical had broken. As he climbed to a higher altitude, the chemical continued to seep from the plane. Winds that day were blowing between 5 and 20 miles per hour, with gusts reaching 35. These strong easterly winds carried the, the, the chemical straight to Skull Valley. The next day, the sheep grazing in the area began to die. Within, ten, within days, thousands of them had perished. The government local or locale numbers different or differ, but anywhere between 3,483 and 6,400 sheep died in the aftermath of the test. So that's one tie-in. You see, they've been at this for an awful long time, how to affect vast areas and even whole populations of people using chemicals and biological agents. And now they're into what they're now calling calmatives and and getting back to this paper on calmatives, they go into a whole bunch of wasted paper uh, trying to alter the meaning, at least the perception of calmative, and talk about the PR necessary to induce the public into accepting these things as a potential use upon themselves. 
one day. That's what PR is all about, getting you, the, the victim, to, to start to get familiar with the idea and predictive programming that this will be used on you and it's somehow only right that they do so and you'll accept it. It's quite the thing that they make you believe anything, you know. So I'll continue with some of this paper here. It's very dry, very boring, but that's how they write all these things. And this is the low, low end. This is not the stuff they have in the Pentagon where they have all the selected higher studies uh, done. They don't publish those ones to the public. Let's see now. I'm into, I want to look for the PR part because it's very important how they're going to get this to the public. Better still, I'll go to this other report. This is from the United States, United Kingdom. Non-lethal weapons wargaming program from the executive seminar they held on the 30th of November 2000. And this is quite an interesting one. Too very dry again because they're careful, very careful in how they word things. The US-UK Non-Lethal Weapons Urban Operations Executive Seminar was conducted on November the 30th, 2000 at the Ministry of Defence, London. The seminar was the concluding event in the US-UK Non-Lethal Weapons Urban Operations Wargaming Programme for which the planning began in April 1999. It brought together a broad spectrum of US and UK general and flag officers as well as senior government civilians and key subject matter experts for the purpose of addressing a broad spectrum of issues relating to the development and use of non-lethal weaponry. And they give you all the lists of participants in this particular document I've got here. The first objective was addressed by providing participant copies of the assessment reports from each of the previous events in the program and through summarizing the key findings across the entire effort in a short briefing. And this is a legality paper really, it's to do with legalisms and how they'd get round laws by rewording and interpreting the words of particular international laws and all the rest of it. The issues selected for consideration in the seminar generally reflect a combination of acceptability criteria of interest to the Joint Non-Lethal Weapons Directorate and the natural selection of the issues themselves through rigorous, rigorous vetting by both the U.S. and U.K. staff. Executive discussions of the issues were led in plenary by the senior U.S. and U.K. principals. The third objective was addressed in the roundtable discussions. They also have the roundtable discussions a very interesting term that of their issues. This effort consisted of a series of workshops, seminars and war games, all designed to build upon each preceding event. The first event, the policy seminar, addressed overall policy and legal issues associated with non-lethal weaponry, political and military issues, rules of engagement criteria, psychological operations, information warfare requirements and innovative employment concepts. War Game 1 and its associated worship, a workshop addressed the challenges and opportunities associated with the use of non-lethal weaponry at the tactical level of war. War Game 2 and associated workshops examined the employment of non-lethal weaponry at the operational level of war. The third War Game and workshop addressed strategic and by extension policy level issues relevant to the employment of non-lethal weaponry technologies and concepts. And that's the third one that I'm interested in really because strategy is long-term planning and use of to prevent something, the strategic level. So you can use it in a strategy, not when something's actually happened, but if they claim something could happen, 
you can start getting doped from the air years beforehand. Finally, the executive seminar reviewed the key findings of the wargaming program and addressed broad-based issues of NLW employment and development and identified possible future courses of action. And in here, they go on to try and redefine it. Since non-lethal weapons, as a descriptive term, is seriously limited in its capacity to attain the accuracy and granularity necessary to avoid many serious ambiguous impacting both ambiguities impacting both operational employment and policy and legal clarity regarding non-lethal weaponry that's NLW use. As has been the case with this particular issue in other venues, discussions tended to raise as many questions as answers. There was general agreement that the term non-lethal was inaccurate, but with the caution that changing it at this juncture could generate more confusion than clarity. You see, the whole idea was to con the public into thinking these things are non-lethal, but they can up the strength of anything to make it legal, to make it lethal. It was suggested, however, that this confusion could be mitigated by a concentrated emphasis on educating the military. So here you are. This is the top talking here. They're going to emphasis on educating the military, educating the media, because it doesn't matter about you, and public from the media concerning the the nature and purposes of NLW. This effort will need to overcome the understanding that the term non means not. A red media campaign will always use the term in battle for world opinion against blue. That's the colors you use in warfare. When a casualty occurs, the official definition will be irrelevant since it cannot be mentioned or explained in a 30-second soundbite. Moreover, several steps towards greater terminological uh, precision were suggested. First, NLW should be defined and discussed only in terms of use against people. That is, the counter-material use of NLW is conceptually meaningless and the source of needless confusion. In other words, NLW should be viewed and discussed as anti-personnel weapons. Second, while it might be desirable to eliminate the non-part of the descriptor, as suggested above, the feasibility of doing so was considered difficult. However, there was considerable enthusiasm, principally from the UK. Now listen to this little dry bit, though, amongst all this dry stuff. For the, because Britain's the master at words for dispensing with the term and notion of weapon and instead focusing on non-lethal capabilities. It doesn't sound like weapon, you see, it sounds much better, capabilities that produce non-lethal effects. So the non-lethal effects, you see, this would provide greater operational as well as policy legal flexibility. The consensus of the group then favoured the term non-lethal capabilities. This is for the Department of Defense, by the way, this particular document here. They go through all the legal definitions of testing under the treaties, so how they get round the, the word testing, because they have international treaties. And this is, there's a whole page on their, their way of jumping around and hopping around and past it. So they have rules of engagements, MOEs and rules of engagements, and ROEs, that's MOEs relating to such considerations as time, range, scope of effect, clearly influence the shaping of ROEs. Discuss in more detail in a separate issue, blah, blah, blah. 
With regards to this issue, a divergence of perspective and position again emerged between the UK and the US. The UK argued that in situations of non-lethal weaponry, use dedicated and clearly identifiable non-lethal systems and capabilities are essential to avoiding the misreading of intent by an adversary. Now, the adversary, remember, if they're using it on the population, happens to be you. So all of this, what they're really telling, this, this document really is for the media. It's almost a, a prepper for the media on how to ever, ever put across these stories to the public, should they be given them. That's really what this is. It's a prep. It's a prepping exercise. The use and benefits of these particular chemicals and so on could be explained without the potential confusion of the same identifiable systems being capable of lethal applications. So the media has been told to, to clearly push this whole non-lethal idea, but never mention it can also be it could also kill people. That's what's really telling them. The U.S., on the other hand, advocate the utility and dual-purpose non-lethal systems. This integrated approach would better enable NLW users to rapidly and seamlessly respond to highly fluid operational situations. That's non-lethal to lethal and back again. They could use it for both purposes if they had to. A capability more appropriate to military operations opposed to more traditional police applications. And then they go on to to carry the, the different kinds of weaponry that they're, they're talking about. And they also get into the calmatives and the various tranquilizers and so on. The, the, you know, you'd have to be at the top to get all the different compartments working on these separate papers to put the whole thing together, because that's how intelligence works. They make sure that no one, no one not even the universities, gets, has access to other data coming in and other parts of the studies coming in. And all this goes into what's happening. Really, uh, that's what it's really about. It's what's happening. This is an interesting paper that goes through rules of engagement and everything here. And it's all under NATO, by the way. This is all UK, the US, and NATO in this particular document that was given. That was the military. This is from the military. And it goes down to back to the beginning of what I was talking about, and that is that these chemicals are being used on the public and have been since, definitely since 9-11-2000 and I've no doubt even a couple of years before it because that's when the heavy, heavy spraying in the sky started. That's also when we started to get the modification of the weather. It started around 98 and I witnessed them build up uh, storms. I saw trees bend after heavy spraying and the winds would start up. That's modification of the weather. But as I say, the whole idea of bringing you through, remember, this is a hundred years war, officially declared a hundred years war by the guys at the top. It's a war to change society completely so that at the end of it, whatever is alive then, whatever kind of human being they bring in in a hundred years, will have no relation to the ones that exist today. They could look at this culture and this way of life in total confusion because they'll have nothing compatible with it in a hundred years' time. That's what's it. Now, how do you bring people through all of that, the changes? How do you get people to accept? Remember, they've been beating the drums on, on population explosions 
since the 1950s, big time. The baby boom, they called it, which is utter nonsense because most families in the Western world were not having more than two children. When you have two children from two parents, you have a static population. And many people were forgoing having children altogether or having one. The only immigration build-up in the West was because immigration policies opened the doors to other countries, and they were flooding in. But this is to create a worldwide appearance of overpopulation. That's the whole point of it. That's why it was done. That's why the immigration doors were opened wide to countries that they claimed, like Britain, were already overcrowded back in the 70s. Why would you open the population doors wide open? If that was the case, it's to create the impression that you're overcrowded because immigrants traditionally flood into the major cities, which are already overcrowded. Appearance is very important. It's all to do with perception. And so they want to bring the population down drastically. And we heard the terms break out in the 70s to sustainability, sustainability of the planet. And huge think tanks were set up once again in the private and public sector to investigate all the potentials of what they foresaw coming in in this world, this crammed, crazy world. They started churning out movies like Silent Green uh, based on the book Make Room, Make Room because part of the book actually was to to get it through our heads that we'll be un- overpopulated and, and crammed into cities. So, so it was a propaganda movie as well, with a good a twist in the tale. And they decided a long time ago, remember what the Club of Rome said in that book I've mentioned often, the first global revolution, where the founders said that in the 1970s they looked at all the scenarios they could possibly think of that could be used as an excuse to take over the world in a more totalitarian fashion, to bring it all together in a global society. What kind of enemy could they find? Because only in warfare do people pull together and work for less and all, all work for a common cause. And they came up with the idea of the fact that, that, that they'd brainwash the public into believing, uh, through weather manipulation, of course, Uh, that we were destroying the planet. And that would be the big stick they would use. Out of many scenarios they could have picked, that's the one they chose. And they admit that in the book. And yet you have all these other departments looking upon how to bring this new future society into being, where we'd have to cut back on our resources and be sustainable. How would you tame a population that had got accustomed to traveling and going joyriding and all the rest of it and Sunday driving and just burning gas for pleasure. It was so abundant. How would you train them into eating less and so on and be more subservient to a global system and how would you get rid of this idea of individual freedom? So they had all these think tanks working on all of this and of course part of it in the military-industrial complex in every country because it's all one big complex was to do with the use of altering behavior of individuals on national and international levels, propaganda-wise, psychological warfare-wise, but also by the use of chemicals. Very old idea. Drugs have been used, even in ancient India, 
to the drug, the, the slave type populations, the untouchables at the bottom, into working and not complaining. They were drugged. Old technique, and they're using the same again. They're also adding something to the sprays in the sky, which makes perfect sense since, as I said, it was said by Rumsfeld after 9-11 that they could do this. They could spray whole cities to stop panic during another attack. And they had their aerosolized tranquilizers ready. When we see the heavy spraying, everyone is tired. They get tired. When the spraying lessens, you'll notice that people are anxious, sometimes angry. That's standard if you're taking long-term doses, daily doses of tranquilizers. Because you're going through withdrawal when the spraying stops for a few days and the tranquilizer is dropping in your blood level. Once it starts spraying again, you're back to you. But now is your new normal, your new old self. And that's happening. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. This whole 9-11 deal was so planned, you could not bring a world global system into being. The, 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 the dream of these characters for a long, long, long time, you couldn't bring it into being with a population that was thinking clearly, with memory intact, with reasoning powers working to their full extent. You could not do it. So it makes perfect logical sense that in a warfare capability or sense, you would use everything available at your command. Remember what I said earlier in the show, and that was to do with audacity, to be bold, audacious, who dares wins. That's what they do. Something you'd never ever think of, spraying the world with tranquilizers and other things on a global level. Getting a big bang for your buck because you can control the weather at the same time. And remember the harp itself not only controls the weather, it controls your moods. And that's official. These particular waves, electronic waves, ELF waves, can affect your mood and behavior. Make you very depressed or tired or agitated and irritable. Couple that with drugs as well and you've got quite the mix there. Joe and Jane Average, who live in TV land, in six o'clock news land, where they judge their sanity by bouncing off their ideas to their neighbors and friends and workmates, only to have the same ideas come back to them. They all think they're sane, that they all have the same conditioning. That's how they judge their sanity. And each one will say, oh, yeah, we know they could do this to us, but they never would. Simple as that, utter denial, right into denial. They never would. Those who have listened to this particular series I've done over the many, many years on the agenda, and it's just an agenda, a long-term business plan. And I've quoted all the books and read from lots of books where the bigwigs have talked about this utopia and how they'd change society and even create new types of humans that would better serve them. There'd be peace in the planet when no one could think for themselves except for the elite, who, as they've said themselves, mustn't change themselves. They must remain unaffected. 
So therefore there's always antidotes to everything. But you won't get the antidotes. Charles Galton Darwin said this in the next million years. He says the elite will retain their capabilities for self-preservation. Meaning their minds would be completely functional. And their reasoning capabilities would be working perfectly well. Because they must guide the ship of state. And they all agreed with each other in many of their books that the public wouldn't need that anymore because the state would be making all the decisions for you, the individual. And that's happening. Even with the passport issue and the ID card and all this nonsense that's suddenly come to the fore, they couldn't have done any of this without 9-11 happening. It was a must-be. It had to happen to ram all this through. Something that's been planned and set up, waiting waiting for it to happen. It could not have happened by coincidence. It had to be planned. It took years of cooperation between governments and intelligence agencies worldwide to set up the machinery to implement the same totalitarian system. It took years for that to happen, long before 9-11. You wouldn't do all that unless you'd be sure of, of it occurring. Either that, you're sitting waiting to, to win the lotto. And these guys don't play by chance. Audacity. Audacity is important. You do the unthinkable, the unbelievable, and you do it big in front of the whole world. And because you, the individual, could never... You understand the small little lies, the white lies, but you couldn't imagine anyone getting up in front of cameras, never mind groups of people, and conning and fooling the whole public of the planet. But that's exactly what's happening. To bring in a brave new world, you'd use every weapon in the arsenal. And it's happening. It's happening. Probably the most important aspect of propaganda is aimed at giving you perceptions of things authorized perceptions because we think in predictable manners we come to conclusions in predictable manners by those who understand the mind the culture the language when you're able to jump out of the box you can see things from every angle Remember, in architecture, and these guys use a lot of architectural terminology in their societies, you must be able to see something from all kinds of points of view. Knowing that the people who visit such a structure, once it's completed, generally see it from the front or just the side. They don't see it from the top or even the bottom or, or uh, interdimensional viewpoints and so on they don't see that they see something that's presented to them and that all things are put to us in such a fashion so that we'll all come to the same perception we have to break out of the conditioning of the fake perceptions to save our skins basically because the guys at the top mean business they've been doing things to the public on a quiet scale for a long, long time. 
silent weapons for quiet wars. Adding chemicals to your drinking water. And we all know the effects of them. There's lots of literature out there on fluoride and all the other stuff that all the other stuff that they use. Never mind the intensive farming before they modified all the crops. The intensive farming was totally dependent upon the big chemical businesses that made, made the, the, the new fertilizers. And they knew at the beginning that would be a temporary measure too because the soil, like in places like Alberta and places in the States, the, the bread basket of the world at one time, we kept the Soviet Union alive through its entire history as the Soviet Union. They couldn't feed themselves. They bought millions of tons of grain every year from Canada and the U.S., and those fields now in Alberta and other places are like sand, over-farmed. And you have to add the particular nitrogen-based chemicals to the soil if you want anything to grow. That's how bad it's become. They knew that this intensive farming phase would only be temporary. They knew that the good farming areas that still use traditional means to to farm natural fertilizers and so on couldn't feed the whole planet. And so they made sure of that, in fact, by encouraging the chemicalization of the farming industry and they made sure they kept enough natural farms left to feed the elite themselves for so many hundreds of years. Long-term planning in a post-industrial society where you don't need all the people anymore. We tend to think the world revolves around us, each one of us, and that somehow our lives, my life, is more important and I will go on forever. That's how we tend to see things. We can't imagine anything being done to us in a sinister manner that would harm us. We've been trained to think this way. Even though reports have come out ad nauseum on the need to reduce vastly the populations of the planet by any and every means possible, those who have been born from the 50s onwards have noticed the massive decline in health and early diseases, aging diseases that hit the young now, and now it's common, partly through inoculation, partly through the food that we've had, partly through the tampering with the water. These things combined have produced an unhealthy society. From our perspective, again, remember, but a predictable one from those who understood this before it was all given to us, this particular system, before they tampered with your food, before they tampered with the water, before they started spraying you from the skies, before they started giving you inoculations, they knew what their goal would be. Because for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, those in power, the psychopathic types, have always been terrified of losing control over the public. So the public becomes the enemy. They've had a war on the world, not off the worlds, but on the world, ongoing for a long time. And the victim 
has been trained not to notice. Definitely trained not to think about it, trained not to use their own sensibilities or even trust their own sensibilities and perceptions, but to go along along with the flow, the media flow, that, that reality that the middlemen, the media, give to you. We're supposed to have come into an age where we're healthier than ever before. The opposite has happened. That that couldn't happen by chance. It's not just because people are eating too much of the wrong things. How can they be eating too much of the wrong things when the big international corporations who fund the greening and all the rest of the, the agendas, the same corporations own the food industry. They own the advertising industry. They own the big chains that sell the fast foods. I give the analogy often of the farmer who breaks the leg of the cow and once it's down and it can't get up, he kicks it out of disgust that it can't get up. Well, that's what they've done to the public. They blame the victims of a society which those same victims did not create. So we take the fall for it all. And now we have to be taught that we're, there's too many of us, we're killing the planet, destroying it all, consuming too much, and it can't go on. And, and apart from that, we're, we're having offspring. Some, some people are actually having offspring, and that's a big no-no in today's society. The front of the United Nations, when it was set up, pretended that any type of organization and culture or rulership would be accepted into it. And that was the big lie, because it was intended from the very beginning to create a common world culture with common standards of new international law. And that the same objectives that destroy the family unit in every culture and the prevailing religions in every culture. Everything that gave you the culture had to be completely eradicated so that the individual would have no one standing up for him or between him and government. That way government would have total control over each individual. That was the point of it, the purpose of it. It was written about in warfare scenarios, long-term strategy situations. It's been accomplished pretty well. The big decision we have now is, is there anything worth fighting for? And how do you fight? You can't fight by picking up a pop gun and firing corks at these characters with high-tech weaponry. What is their weak position? Their weak spot is the fact that all of the enforcers they need to help bring the system in before those enforcers themselves become obsolete. Those enforcers are taken from the base population, from you, the general public. That's the weak point. They went after the children of the world a long time ago with video games and violence. And children like to be on the side of the winners. They don't really see the moral point in it. They like victory. And you have an army, and whole armies, and different kinds of armies, all working from this, for the same global structure. A generation who have grown up on video games, kill, get to your objective, and win. 
and they become a new brethren. Well, it all depends if the, the bonding techniques that are used and applied in the military, and they're using much more intensive ones now to try to create this world police force or world army. It'll depend if they take or if we, the public, can get through to our own relatives, our own people, and say, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing to us? Do you know what's happening to yourself? That's the weak position. There has to be a world propaganda campaign carried on as no other campaign has has gone before. So that the helpers, the enforcers are weaned away from this bonding fraternity as they think they're they're being merged into a special force of special people and they're bonded to new brothers and new sisters in uniform. Because you can't fight this with pop guns. And you can't fight with pop guns, aerial spraying or harp-type technologies that can be used on a continental scale. The great Tesla that people prattle on about was no better. He wasn't some sort of messianic benefactor for society. One of his main projects was working on technologies that could literally knock out a whole city of people, millions of people, for military purposes. Well, they have this technology today. We're seeing the big arm of government run over the old cultures. They're giving the finger to what you thought were your rights. We saw that beginning with Waco, when they went in and killed a lot of people. And it was televised worldwide to make sure we all got the message that force is going to be used on anyone who lives outside the norm even when the norm has been upgraded by those very people at the top and everyone adapts. Most folk will immediately say, well, they must have had something to hide. That's what they said in the Soviet Union when they'd cart off your neighbours. That's what your neighbours will say about you when they cart you off. We are run by deception massive deception and we've seen this latest raid in Utah with the Mormons where hundreds of them are carted off because of an alleged complaint by an alleged young female does that authorize something on a military scale to take place with child care workers and all this and counselors and specialists going into to, to like grieve, almost like grieving counselors to go into because of an alleged abuse. And so much for the, the right to have your own religion and practice it. Well, if your religion interferes with the new culture, the standardized culture, you, yeah, they're going to attack you, all right. You can't have children being taught at school, uh, at home, homeschooled and getting a different point of view. We can't have that in this totalitarian world system and they're showing their teeth now at the top all these publicly funded services are now your authorities how did that happen 
Well, that was planned when they set them up as services. They knew they'd turn them into authorities. Stalin talked about that. Read some of his books. Same with Lenin. Nothing happens by chance. In this system. So I'll leave you with the links to, to Huxley's talks. Listen to the man he spoke on behalf, in a sense, for the big think tanks. He could word things in a certain way to seem ambiguous at times because he couldn't implicate himself too much. But sometimes, too, he'd give certain things away, including, including his own opinions about people and society in general, from a very elitist point of view. For those who listen to my shows regularly on the radio, bear with me when I go through these talks where we get callers who are definitely plants, and you've got to understand this, that the big intelligence services employ crazy people at the bottom, the low-life ones. They use them, often they're on drugs, in fact, and dependent upon getting fed their drugs by their handlers. And these are the characters who can be found and caught and exposed at times, and it's no loss to the CIA because they, they keep a distance. They're not officially members. But they do have an organized campaign to defame people through any means possible. They even put up videos and Google and so on, and they'll rearrange your words to make you sound as though you're saying something you never said at all, as child's play today with the simple computer programs that are out there. But to defame people, they must attack them, especially if you're making an impact on this system. Remember, intelligence takes thousands of people to put together for these big agencies. But because it's all run on deception, only a very few people can start chipping away at the base and the whole tower comes tumbling down. So when you're making an impact and that tower is swaying, you will be targeted, definitely. You can count on it. And you'll be smeared with whatever, ever, they can smear on you. doesn't matter what lie it is, as long as it's smeared well. The people, again, go by perceptions. Most folk don't really think too deeply. They don't question things. They take things at face value, even when it's fake. And that's why I've never given authority. I've been asked many times for other sites that want to to, to do proxy work for me about saying I can't give you authority because you can't trust anyone out there who might eventually take what you've got and say this is authorized by me and then start changing your words with manipulation of programs. You have to be very, very careful. From Hamish and myself, I hope that you're doing your own research and you're looking at the important factors and priority-wise right now because we have to get the spraying stopped. We have to get this totalitarian system stopped before it goes further. You understand that your passports and all this IDing is not just to allow you to travel abroad. It's to stop you from getting out of the country because in the future coming up, just like the, the towns are going to have these habitat areas for humanity, under the United Nations, where there's no private vehicle ownership and so on, no travel, you see, unless authorized, essential travel only, is going to be the same in the upcoming world. 
where you'll, if you're working for an international corporation or something, you'll still have to apply for permission to travel, but you'll probably get it. The ordinary Joe won't. Your country, although they'll change it all into a, a borderless world, to some perception, that is, not in reality, you're going to be a prisoner in that area in which you were brought up. And that's all part of this distortion and reversal of meanings, just like free trade is restricted trade and authorized only, preferential trade. We certainly can't say that we're living in boring times, because in previous ages they could go by their Bibles and their books and their revelations and wonder and speculate what was coming up. We don't have to anymore. It's out in the open. We see it coming into view. We're living through it. I tell people to hang in there because there's always hope. And perhaps the, 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 the coming to life of each person individually is perhaps more important than even for the masses. Who knows? But there's always meaning to things. From Hamish and myself, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.